So we're starting a new series today, and it's called Why Did Jesus Live? And we're going to be looking at several uh, questions about Christ. And uh, I picked this song because that's kind of a haunting song, isn't it? Have you ever thought about Jesus being a slob like one of us? What if God was one of us? Because I don't know about you, but I kind of want to think that his robe was a little bit brighter, you know, than everybody else's. I kind of want to think that, that he didn't have a bald spot. Jesus surely didn't have a bald spot. I mean, come on, he's the son of God. You know, um, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't have allergies, did he? Please tell me the Son of God did not have allergies. Um, I don't know. Could he really be one of us? But see, the, the Bible tells us that he was so much one of us that no one knew who he was for 30 years. I mean, his mom and dad, well, Joseph was his stepdad. But, but when Jesus shows up and he starts preaching and he starts teaching and he starts doing stuff, people go, wait, 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 wait. Isn't that Joseph's and Mary's son? I mean, this is the guy we've been watching for three, th- three decades. There's nothing special to see here. Go on, prophet, teacher, what? They're going, we don't understand. It's a strange story. God in a bod for over 30 years, and, and then for three years he teaches and performs miracles. And even his brothers and sisters didn't believe in him at first. They thought he was kind of crazy. And you almost don't blame them because... He made some crazy claims. He made some claims so crazy that it got him killed as less than one of us. Because you think about crucifixion. Crucifixion would be outlawed today in any civilized country. God became one of us, and his teaching was so out there that it got him killed as less than one of us. And, and so, you know, we talked about this. I kind of mentioned this a couple weeks ago. What would I have to do to convince you that I'm God? We're not even going to play that game because I don't... I, Walk on water, I sink. Um, In fact, my my freshman year at Baylor, I had to take a PE class, and it was swimming. And the the, uh, assistant teacher said, anybody can float. And I'm like, I can't float. And she said, by the end of this class, you will float or fail. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And so I stayed. I, I, I had remedial swimming lessons to try to teach me to float. And I mean, she'd say, relax. And I would be as relaxed as I could be, and I'd have my back arch, and I'd go, Get to the bottom. Two hours. And she goes, you can't float. And I'm like, I told you that. I cannot float. There's a few of us that can't. You know, so I would, I would fail on that one. I couldn't walk on water. I can't even float on top of water, much less walk on water. Um, <laughs> but you know what's crazy about this story? You would, you would have no problem telling your friends, Doug ain't God. No way. No, no, no. I've seen the dude. He's, he's not God. Thank you. <laughs> and you can shut up. Um <laughs> in the name of Jesus. Um, See, the people who hung out with him, his friends, the people who sat around the campfire with him, the people who followed him for three years, watched him perform miracles, they said, we believe that he was God in human form. And they said, "We, we saw all this stuff, and then we saw a dead man walking. And we believe he was God in human form, and we will go to our graves proclaiming that he is God. He's the son of God. Now, (laughs) if you're going to try to pull off a hoax, who's the one person in the world that won't let you get away with it? Family. Brother. I got two brothers, you know. 
your brother doesn't even want you to run faster than he does, much less let you be son of God, you know, or sister. Sister's going to go, yeah, I guess he's a nice guy, but he, he's not God. You know, Their siblings aren't going to let you get away with that. Hannah reminded us just this week of, of an incident where Caleb pulled out, this was years ago, but he pulled out a tape measure and he goes in his bedroom and he measures his tape, his room, and then he goes to each of the girls' rooms and measures them to show them that his room is bigger than theirs. And so they're crying, I don't think this ever got to me because I don't even remember this. Hannah said, we were crying. We were so upset that Caleb's room was bigger. Your siblings don't even want your room to be an inch bigger than theirs. I mean, they're not going to let you get by with saying that you are the son of God. But James, the brother of Jesus, when it was all said and done, when Jesus was gone from the earth, this former skeptic wrote very clearly in the letter that he wrote in the New Testament that he was the son of God. Not he was from God. James said he was God. And so... The question we're going to look at today is, why did Jesus become one of us? Why did he have to hang out for 30 years? Why subject yourself to 30 years in obscurity and then three years in the limelight only to get yourself killed on a cross? Now, we're going to think about a lot of stuff the way people describe Jesus. And I've heard Jesus described as a good teacher. But he didn't teach the way anybody else had ever taught. What he taught was radically different than anything anybody had ever taught. And if what he taught was not true, he's either a liar or he's not a very good teacher, right? So he didn't come to be a good teacher. I've heard people say he's a good role model. But, but as far as I can tell, Jesus didn't play any of the roles that I play. He was not a husband. He was not a father. He, he didn't own a business. He didn't even have a job. So if he didn't perform any of the roles that you and I perform, how can he be called a role model? Now, he did pay taxes. One time he had Peter go catch a fish, and he said, open up the mouth and pull out the temple tax. I've been trying for years to get my taxes out of the mouth of a fish, and every year I am disappointed. That does not work for me. So he didn't come to be a role model. He didn't come to be a good teacher. And when people ask him questions, he didn't give them easy answers. You remember the, the rich young guy comes to him and he says, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And he said, try this one. He said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me and you'll have eternal life. And he went away sad. How many of you have done that one? Let me see. You've sold everything and given it to the poor? No, I don't think so. Now, if I were to ask this crowd, many of you would say, well, he came to die. But honestly, he could have died in a week. He could have died in a day. There's a specific reason he came, and it tells us, John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God. The only Son, Jesus, who is truly God and is closest to the Father, has done what? All right, this is, this is group participation. He has done what? All right, so help me out. The only Son who is truly God and is closest to the Father has done what? God knew back then what he knows now, that, that there's this spectrum of, of people, and at one end of the spectrum, is people are kind of curious. They're like, well, you know, if there is a God, I'd kind of like to know about him. And then there's people on the other end of the spectrum that are desperate to know about him. And it all depends on your age and your circumstances. Young people a lot of times think, oh, I've got plenty of time for God when I'm older. You get a disease or you get a little bit older, and all of a sudden you realize, I don't have that much time. I better get my house in order. It all depends on the circumstances. Look at um, 1 John 5.20. We know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and has what? Group participation. Wait, is this up here? Has shown us. Oops, now it's not. Oh, there it is. All right, we know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come and has... 
shown us what the Father is like. Now, this is cool. Now, because he's shown us, look at the next part of the verse. And because of Jesus, because he's shown us what God is like, we now belong to the true God who gives what? We would not have known how to get to heaven, how to have eternal life if Jesus hadn't come. And I'm going to talk about some more of that in just a minute. God wants you to know him so much that he sent Jesus to show you what God is like. Now, if God wanted to relate to birds, he would have become a bird. If he wanted to hang out with cows, can't imagine that, but he would have become a cow. If he wanted to communicate with dogs, he would have become a dog. But he wanted to talk to you and me. He wanted to communicate with us, so he became a human being. He became like us. When, um, when Caleb was little, he was all into Star Wars. And, I mean, from the time he was three and we would go home and take a nap on Sunday afternoons, if we wanted a good old nap, we'd stick, all, we'd stick the trilogy in there. Sucker would sit there, if, as long as he had popcorn and, and M&Ms, he would sit there and watch all three movies. It was awesome. Best babysitter you've ever seen. He'd go to the bathroom if he needed to. It was awesome. Okay, so he was all into Star Wars. And when his buddies would come over one time, um, he and his buddy were playing. They had their lightsabers and they're, you know, making the sound noise. And then you hear from their room, you hear, white cracks, white cracks. And we go, what? Went in there, and then the, his buddy's going, blue cracks, blue cracks. And Caleb's going, white cracks, white cracks. And we said, what are y'all doing? He said, you know when the emperor shoots out the lightning from his face? That's white cracks. Or if you're the other guy, you're the blue cracks. And we're going, wow, this is weird. Well, one day we're driving in my truck, and we're going down the road, and it's, it's raining hard. And Caleb, he's probably four or five years old, and he's sitting over there by the window, and he's going, And I said, what are you doing? He said, it's okay, Dad. I'm using the force to move these raindrops. And I'm like, dude, he has got a creative imagination, you know. I'm using force. Well, see, I don't know what the force is, do you? When you're in trouble, oh, whatever. You know what the movie says it is. Use it. Use it right now. Come on, you Star Wars nerds. Um, (laughs) Use it. I want to see it. Let's bust out some, some... trial and error here. See, I don't want the force when I'm in trouble because I'm not even sure what it is. But I can look at Jesus and I can say, that's what God is like. And when I'm in trouble, that's what I want in my life, what, what God is like. Now, a few years ago, Time Magazine did this survey, a religious survey in the United States, and here's what they ask. All, all Americans, they ask, do you believe in God? 81% said, yes, we believe in God. Do you believe in heaven, this is question number two, where people live with God after they die? Again, 81%. So that's pretty good. You know, eight, a little more than eight out of ten people. I'm not sure how that works. Eight out of ten people believe that there's a God and there's heaven where people go after they die. Number three, do you believe you will see friends and family in heaven? 88%. I don't know how we got the extra 7%. I'm not sure there's a heaven, but I'm going to see my friends and family there. I don't know about that. Then they asked this. They said, what do you believe will happen to you immediately after your death? Letter A. You'll go directly to heaven. 61 people said, 61% of the people said, we believe we'll go directly to heaven. And then B was, um, go to purgatory, then heaven. If you don't know what purgatory is, come talk to me. But anyway, 15% said yes. And so there's 76% of Americans that believe, man, as soon as I die, I go to heaven. Now, this was interesting to me. Um, C, go to hell. 1%. Isn't that weird that, that eight, 76% believe we're going to heaven and 81% believe there is a heaven, but 1% believe there's a hell. Did you know the source of all of the information we have about heaven and hell comes from the same person, Jesus Christ, who came to show us what God is like, to show us what heaven is like, to tell us what hell is like? But we just don't want to believe it because we don't like the idea of hell. 
D, believe you'll be reincarnated. 5% of people... See, this was a big deal. I remember as a kid being reincarnated, you know, I didn't understand. You know, people never went backwards. If they were going to be reincarnated, they were going to be some rich, powerful, or singer, whatever. You know, they didn't go backwards. They didn't become a slave. They didn't become an ant or a cockroach. You know, nobody did that. I didn't understand. But only 5% of Americans believed in reincarnation. And 4% believed that when you die, there's nothing. It's just the end. Now... Probably 100% of you here today believe that there's a God and you will meet him someday. And depending on your circumstances, you're either curious, eh, if there's a God, I'd like to know about him, or you are frantic. If there is a God, I have to know because I can't do life on my own. It all depends on those circumstances. Those circumstances are tricky, right? Because we suck at interpreting circumstances. Let me, just, let me give you some examples. Something good happens. Oh, it must be God. Something bad happens. It must not be God. The problem is we're terrible at interpreting circumstances because we don't know the future. A boyfriend breaks up. Oh, God, where are you? You gave me a verse. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's the desire of my heart. Two weeks later, new guy comes in. Oh, God, thank you that he broke up with me. That was obviously you, right? We, we're terrible at, at interpreting circumstances. Or parents. Now, I was a youth minister for 19 years and, and had instances where some of this stuff happened. Teenager comes in, takes their Bible, throws it against the wall, says, I hate God, runs to the room, slams the door so hard it shakes the house. You being the concerned parent, you go in and say, what's wrong, dear? She's beating on the pillow. I didn't get invited to the party. I prayed and I prayed that I would get invited to the party. I read my Bible every day for two straight weeks and I prayed without ceasing that I would not get invited, that I would get invited to the party. And I did not get invited to the party. There is no God. And the parents are going, you didn't get invited to the party? Praise God, you didn't get invited to the party. Woo! Let's have a party. Which one is it? We're terrible at interpreting circumstances. The way you were raised also has a big deal, has, plays a big part in how you interpret God. For example, how many of you heard, um, uh, God helps those who help themselves? You heard that growing up. Let me see your hand. Do you know that's not in the Bible? Made it up. Somebody did, right? Um, there's another one. Uh, let's see, I put it down here. Cleanliness is next to godliness. How many of you heard that one? That is not in the Bible. Now, this one's kind of tricky. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Not in the Bible. Now, it says if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Okay. Bible says it's okay. And the, the idea is there, but those exact words, spare the rod, spoil the child, not in there. Takes one to no one. One what? I don't know. Our upbringing has a lot to do with it. So, for example, if your parents were legalistic, that means they were very, very religious. And God is mean and loves to zap us when we mess up. You struggle, if, if you came from a religious, legalistic home, you struggle with grace and forgiveness. Receiving grace and forgiveness and giving grace and forgiveness. And when bad things happen to you, you always relate it back to a sin in your life. I had a wreck because last week I took three pins from the office and I didn't take them back. Stupid, stupid, stupid! Right? If your parents were liberal, liberal folks believe that we're kind of on our own. 
that God's out there and he doesn't have a whole lot to do in our situation and actually he's given us everything we need to do it and we're smart enough and, and so God is distant and he's not personal and you're really on your own. And, and that has a lot to do with how you view God. But here's the thing. God wanted us to know him as he is, not as we imagine him. So he sent Jesus to show us what God is like. And when you read the Gospels over 90 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus starts a story with the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. And he did that because his whole mission was to show us what God was like. So towards the end of his life, Jesus takes his disciples to the upper room and he's, he's teaching them very clearly that he is the son of God. And he tells them in chapter 13, he tells them, John ch- chapter 13, he tells them a lot of stuff. And he, he says, um, you know, that's when Peter says, I'll follow you everywhere. And he says, no, you won't. And, and then God says, um, where I'm going, you can't come now, Peter, but you'll get to come in a little while. And Peter's like, where are you going? He says, not now, I'll tell you later. Well, then he gets to chapter 14 and here's what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Well, why were their hearts going to be troubled? Because he just said, I'm leaving you. He's the son of God and the son of God says, I'm leaving. So they were troubled. Jesus says, trust in God, trust also in me. Why trust Jesus? Because he says, I and the Father are one. We're equal. There's more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going? There he's talking about leaving again to prepare a place for you. saying, I've told you there's lots of room in my Father's house, and I'm going to go and I'm going to make everything ready for you, and when it's time, I'm going to come back. And this is what he says. When everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Then I, I picture, y'all got to get this in your mind. I picture a dramatic pause because the disciples are like us, you know, they, they could be in Duck Dynasty, in my mind. You know, long hair, beards, you know, kind of redneck. They were fishermen. They were, they were, you know, tax collectors. They're kind of supposed to be educated, but we won't, we won't count them. So anyway, they're sitting around, and Jesus says, I'm leaving. Don't be troubled. There's a big house. I'm going to prepare it. I'm coming back, and you know where I'm going. And, and so good old Thomas. Thomas goes, um, no, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. I love this. We have no idea where you're going, so... Uh, this, is, this is just me, my portrayal of Thomas. So how can we know the way? Right? I mean, you get that? Here's a huge verse. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And for non-Christians, that's, that's the line that gets you, right? Because if what Jesus says is true... A lot of people are not going to heaven. You remember earlier in in Jesus' teaching, he said, there's this broad road, this wide road that leads to destruction, and many are those who are on it. And then Jesus says, "There's there's this very, very narrow road that leads to life. And very few people are on it. So so for non-Christians, this is this messes you up because you're like, this means good people. Good people are not going to be in heaven, right? And it trips you up. And and so what you have to understand, we'll talk more about that next week. If if you if you have questions about that, come back next week. We're going to talk about why did Jesus say he's the only way. That's next week. But here Jesus is talking to the already convinced. So he doesn't stop and explain his words. He just goes right on. And he says, If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him, and we've seen him. So uh, here we are, redneck, in in my mind. Here's here's these dudes, and and they're going, 
Jesus is saying, you do know the Father, and they're going, no, 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 we want to know the Father, and Jesus goes, you've seen the Father, and they're going, no, 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 we want to see the Father, and Jesus says, I'm as much of the Father as you're ever going to see in this lifetime. You want to know what God looks like? Look at me. I'm as close as you're going to get. Look anywhere other than me, and you will miss the Father. Pause. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. (laughs) Jesus just said, okay, Jesus said, if you really know me, you would know my Father is from now on. You do know him and have seen him. Show him to us, and we'll be satisfied. Another translation says, that'll be enough. If you just show us, God, you know, they're, they're going, we don't need any more stories. You've told us about God. You told us to call God Father. That's new. So now show us the Father because we got to know what he's like. And Jesus says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen the Father, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. When you were a kid, did you ever play that game? Warmer, 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 cold, 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 cold. Freezing, idiot. You know, y'all ever do that? That that was my version of it. Um, And it's like Jesus is going, look at me. If you look at me, Jesus is saying, if you look at me, Warm, 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 hot, hot, burning hot if you're looking at Jesus Christ because you've got a reflection of the Father. Look anywhere other than Jesus, you're going to miss him. Look over Jesus, you're going to miss him. Look beside Jesus, you're going to miss him. Look, look behind Jesus, you are going to miss the Father because Jesus is the most that we're ever going to see in this lifetime. Jesus tells them, my words are not even my words, they're God's. My, my works, they're not my works, they come from God. If you want to know what God thinks, listen to Jesus. Want to know what God would do? So I, I was playing a little, y'all, y'all should do this, just to, to, you know, sharpen your mind. I was doing WWGD, what would God do? Then WWJD, watch what Jesus did. See how I did that? That's, that's, this one's better. If you want to know what God would say, WWGS, LTWJS. What would God say? Listen to what Jesus says. Now try to do that real fast. WGS, LTWGS. This is just how my mind works when I'm studying. I'm sorry. That's the best I got. LTWJS. You want to know what God would say? Listen to what Jesus already said, and you've got a blueprint of how the Father reacts to people. Now, back to John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. The only Son, who is truly God and is closest to the Father, has shown us what God is like. Now, there are some things we never would have known if Jesus hadn't come. And I'm going to give you five of them, and we're just going to go through them pretty quickly here. But five things we would never have known if Jesus hadn't come. Number one, God is our perfect Father. This is is so cool. This was totally new, because in the Old Testament, God revealed himself as Yahweh. Now, that's how we pronounce it, but he actually, it was Y-H-W-H, capital letters, no vowels in there, and people would not speak the name. Because the Bible said, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And people were so worried that they would defame God's name or take it in vain that they wouldn't even speak it. They would only write it. So we don't even know how they used to pronounce it in the old times because nobody passed down the pronunciation. We don't know. Now, as Americans, well, and not just Americans, we've actually put two vowels in there. We spell it Y-A-H-W-E-H, and that's Yahweh is how we pronounce it. 
It's the name God gave to himself over 5,000 times in the Old Testament. God called himself Yahweh. And it's usually translated in our Bibles as Lord. You've heard the shortened version, Yah, at the end of the word Hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh. Okay, hang on with me. Um, now, in, in Matthew chapter 121, uh, chapter 1, verse 21, the angel is talking to Joseph, and look what he says here. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All right, this is, this is awesome. Now, it's awesome to me, but y'all, y'all didn't like my last thing, so you may not like this either. So, I don't care. Um, Jesus is the Greek pronunciation of the name Joshua. Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so Jesus is the the Greek pronunciation of Joshua. Joshua um, is takes a, a form of the word Yah, and it combines it with, with a word for salvation or save. So it means Yahweh saves. All right? Um, lost my place. Jesus is Yahweh with a human nature coming to save his people from their sins. So Jesus is Yahweh. He comes from Yahweh to show us what Yahweh is like. Now, here's what he's going to show. He says, you want to know what the Father's like? Because at one point, the the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray like John's disciples taught them to pray. And Jesus goes, Yahweh says, you want to know how to pray? When you pray, pray like this. Our blank who art in heaven. Our what? Father, never before in history. Till Jesus came, did they ever address Yahweh, the name they wouldn't even say out loud? They would never even consider calling him Daddy. That's really what Abba Father really means, Daddy. And and that's a that's a that's a name that that moves my heart when my girls say Daddy. My girls call Daddy, I love you, or my girls call Daddy, I need you. It's a name that moves the heart of God, and we would not have known that God wanted us to see him that way if Jesus hadn't come. Number two. God rewards faithfulness. Too many of us have seen folks live what we would consider a good life, a faithful life, and then something bad or even evil happens to them. And, um, and, and we seem to think that there's no justice in this life. Jesus begins to teach, and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, and he makes it very clear that God's paying attention and that God rewards people who are faithful. They may not get their reward in this lifetime, but Jesus says, you've got to know my Father. He will reward you in due time. And this life is so short compared to eternity. The, the rewards you're going to have in eternity will far outweigh what you're enduring in this little life. In fact, Peter says that. He says that that our glory in heaven far outweighs the temporary afflictions. Actually, I think that was Paul. Far outweighs what you're going through because this lifetime, if you were to stretch out a rope across here and put a little bitty fine point dot in the middle, that dot is your lifetime on this planet. I don't care if it's 10 years or 70 or 80 or 90 years. Your life is represented by a dot compared to eternity. And you will be rewarded in heaven whether you are here or not because God cares more about eternity than he cares about here. God cares more about um, your character than your comfort. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God is is planning to comfort you all the time. I mean, he will give you comfort so you can get through it, but you're not supposed to be comfortable in this world. We're supposed to long for something more. God rewards faithfulness. Number three, pain is not God's punishment. This was huge and this was new. One time, the disciples saw a man born blind. They asked, who sinned this, man, this, this man's father or mother that he should be born blind? And Jesus goes, where do you get this stuff? And he said, this man was born blind so that the glory of God might be demonstrated in him. Many of you have met and seen my nephew who was born with no arms and only one functioning leg. 
And, and there were people who, who counseled my relatives not to have this baby because they saw he was going to be deformed. This is one of the smartest, most grace-filled human beings I've ever met. He's now at the University of Nebraska studying to be a mechanical engineer. Everybody on the, on the campus knows him, and, and they said it's kind of a big deal. We've seen pictures and stuff on the Internet. It's kind of a big deal to get to ride on his wheelchair because, you know, he can drive. Even though he's just got little nubs, for our, he can drive a pickup, and he can drive his wheelchair, and I'm sure it's got four-wheel drive and all that stuff. Um, but he's an amazing young man, and God is going to do great things through him. He was born deformed so that the glory of God might be displayed in him. And I don't know if you've seen, if you hadn't seen this, you need to look up Nick Vujicic. He's from Australia. He was born without arms or legs. Coolest thing ever. He talks about driving, and, and one of the funniest things I saw, he, he says, because he has to stand up in the seat because he can't reach anything, and he drives, and he has his seatbelt on, and because he has no arms and no legs, he can just sit there like this where his head's up over the window, and he can turn all the way around in the seatbelt without taking it off, and so he'll do that at lights just to freak people out. You, you need to look this guy up. Unbelievable testimony. He was born with no arms and no legs, not because of sin, but bec- so that the glory of God might be displayed in his life. He's married now, uh, has a beautiful wife, and I think they actually have a child now. Unbelievable story. Nobody sinned. See, God, God is not out to get you. you. You and I, we relate a lot of our trouble in our life back to sin, and, and, and there are consequences to sin. You have sex outside of marriage, you get pregnant. I mean, there's, there's stuff that happens. But God is not out to get you. That's not God. And Jesus said pain is not God's punishment. It might get our attention, but it's not God's punishment. Number four, God notices how we treat others. This is a big deal because most Eastern religions do not worry too much about how you deal with other people. Even, even Jews in Jesus' day did not have much compassion on other people because they were working their way to heaven. They were religious. They were worried about themselves. I don't have time for you. I got to get to heaven. I got to get my family to heaven. And so that leads to a religious life where there's no compassion. And Jesus said, how dare you live like that? We wouldn't have known if Jesus hadn't shown up. Then the fifth thing, nobody is good enough for heaven. This is huge. Every world religion up till the time of Jesus thought that you have this huge scale and that, that the creator, whatever you call him, that, that he graded on a scale. And if you did more good works than bad works, you get to go into heaven. If you do more bad works than good, you go to hell. The problem is, how do you know how many you've done? And Jesus said, no, I got to tell you, nobody's good enough. And Jesus said these offensive, narrow-minded words. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And people killed him for it because they'd rather be religious than really know what God is like. We wouldn't know without Jesus coming. He came to show us what the Father is like. And the best way to do that was to become one of us. And I want you to take your registration cards and I want you to think about these five things that I just laid out there. And, and I want you to identify one of them that, that maybe resonated with you. And I'm going to go back over them. And I just want you, you can just put one, two, three, four, or five if you want to, if you want to write it out. Some of y'all, some of y'all are very anal and you have to write it out and your, your handwriting is exquisite. And, and I enjoy that. So if you want to write it out, that's fine. Um, that's fine. <laughs> some of you, dude, you, you'll walk out of here and, and 
forget that you were at church. I mean, you're that ADHD. So you need to write a number and just get over it. Okay. So number one was God is our perfect father. If that was something that resonated, you needed to hear, write that down. Number two, God rewards faithfulness. Some of you have really had a tough life and, and you're just now beginning to see that you may not get in this life what you thought you should get. And you've got this hope that in heaven, maybe God's going to make things right. Number three, pain is not God's punishment. If you grew up in a religious, um, very religious family, a legalistic family, then, then you have a trouble with that. Number four, God notices how we treat others. And number five, nobody is good enough for heaven. And if you have questions about this, why did Jesus say, why is he so narrow-minded that he's the only way? Come back next week and we're going to talk about that. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? My prayer is that some of you realize that you've been religious and you've been trying to earn your way to heaven and that maybe it's time to quit. Because this whole thing about Easter, either Jesus is who he said he was, God, or he's crazy and thinks he's God, or he's deliberately lying. If he's crazy or if he's deliberately lying, he's not a good teacher. He's not a good man. You need to make a choice about him. And Christianity is the only world religion that celebrates an empty tomb. Everybody agrees the tomb's empty. Enemies agree. Followers agree. Tomb's empty. You have to explain why. So some of you are coming face to face right now with the fact that you are not in the kingdom of God because you've never accepted Jesus. You've never gone the way that he said, the narrow way. So real simply around here, the way we pray that is we just say, God, I know that I have sinned and I need a savior. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were raised from the dead. Would you come in and save me? Some of you need to pray that right now. God, I know I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I believe you died on the cross. I believe God raised you from the dead. And then pray this, as much as I know how, I give my life to you, and I accept your life in return. And then here's one of the coolest things anybody can pray. God, please help me to know you more. Father, it's my prayer that you work in the hearts of lives of people. I pray, God, that you build a momentum for three weeks from today on, on Easter Sunday morning, that this place is packed, that we look for opportunities to invite people. God, that, that those who are being baptized would just invite everyone they can see and we'll have this place filled on Easter Sunday morning to celebrate the empty tomb. And it's my prayer that today some people stepped into the kingdom of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.